Thank you, Jake and John Ed. It's good to see you in church this morning. Some of y'all look like you, probably like me, you stayed up a little too late last night. Maybe we need to stand up, stretch for a minute, you know. I hear in some classrooms they take a little brain break, get up and dance for a little bit, but this is a Baptist church, so we're not going to do that. We're just going to get into the Word, but I do want to, I want to stop and I want to mention the elephant in the room, maybe, before we, uh, before we go any further. I understand there's a ball game tonight. I didn't know that till Friday. <laughs> uh, Mary and I were texting, and she said something about somebody having a Super Bowl party. I had no clue the Super Bowl was tonight. I Googled it and found out she was right. She usually is. She's in children's church, so I can say that uh, this morning. But uh, here's something you need to know. Uh, now, you uh, may have found out through Tim's email yesterday uh, you, if you didn't read the email, you don't know this, so I'm going to tell you. You want to come back to church tonight. I know the ball game starts at 5.30, but at 6 o'clock we're having church and Brother Garrett's preaching. Now here's something else you need to know. I understand Brother Garrett's got some folks coming over to the house to watch the ball game. So here's something. Now we'll put all this together into a nice, neat little package. Church isn't going to last long. Because he's got to get back home to host a Super Bowl party. Super Bowl lasts about three to four hours. I Googled that. Just see what's the average length of the Super Bowl. Well, yeah, you get it done. I don't do professional football. I just don't care for the NFL, but uh, y'all do, so that's fine. You know, I don't care, but come to church at 6 o'clock. Now, you might miss the halftime show, and if you're worried about missing the halftime show, I looked up who was going to be in the performances. We're going to have a special time of prayer for you this afternoon, <laughs> and uh, right here in the sanctuary, but I promise we'll get you home for the most important part, that is the second half, because guess what, nobody's going to win in the first half, and so come to church, hear Brother Eric, Brother, Eric, Brother Garrett, <laughs> hear Brother Garrett preach tonight, and uh, I'm excited about it, hope you are too. Since we're on the topic though, I did a little more research on Friday. Uh, after I found out the Super Bowl was tonight, I did a little more research, and I found some things out. Now, a study was produced by the NCAA and the Ohio State University concerning 2016 high school football players. All right? You want to know this, if I know. In 2016, there were 1,083,308 varsity high school football players in the United States. That's a lot of folks on the field on Friday night. 73,660 of those 1.08 million high school football players went on to play in the NCAA in college. Now that's 6.8% of the 1.08 million. Lots of numbers, just trust me. Um, I didn't confirm the math on this, I went with what the study said, okay? Of the 73,000, only 16,369 became eligible for the NFL draft, all right? Of those who were eligible, only 251 were drafted. So, 1,083,308 varsity high school football players in 2016 251 of those got drafted into the NFL. That is 0.023% of the 
according to the professionals at the Ohio State University. Now, let's talk about these 0.023%. We're going to get to the Bible. This all ties in. Let's talk about this 0.023% of high school athletes who were drafted into the NFL from 2016. Did they just wake up one morning and say, you know what? I've been slacking my whole life, eating potato chips on the couch, but today I'm going to be an NFL quarterback or I'm going to be whatever position they're playing in the NFL. No, that's not what happened, is it? Did they maybe, now here's an, here's an example. Maybe they woke up one morning and said, I'm going to start attending practice one day a week. Just one day a week. Surely that's good enough that on February the 13th, 2022, I'm going to be in the Super Bowl. I don't think that happened either. Or maybe, maybe, just maybe. They went to that one practice a week, and then, then one day a week, we'll just say Wednesday evenings, their team does an outreach event for children, trying to get children interested in the NFL. So maybe they went to practice one day a week and then went and participated in this outreach event one evening a week, and now all of a sudden they're in the Super Bowl on February the 13th, I keep forgetting what day it is, 2022. I don't think that's what happened either. These men had a goal. No doubt the men who take the field tonight in the Super Bowl have practiced probably close to seven days a week 365 days a year since they were old enough to start playing peewee football. They've been at it for a long time. A lot of hard work. Everything, their entire life has revolved around reaching this goal. And with complete and total focus, tonight, they've reached it. What in the world does any of this have to do with the Bible? What does it have to do with church? Well, in a word, everything. Turn to Philippians chapter 3, where we'll be this morning. Philippians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul, I think, would have a lot more in common with a lot of folks in this room than they realize. Because the Apostle Paul loved sports, apparently, because he used athletic metaphors all throughout his epistles. The people in his day understood athletics. They understood the work that went into it. So he constantly, all throughout his epistles, ties in these principles of the Christian life to the world of sports. And we find that in Philippians chapter 3. We find his most frequent metaphor, the foot race. Not my favorite sport, okay? If you, I told some folks this the other night. If you ever see me running... Start heading in the same direction because there's something bad back there, okay? But Paul likes to talk about the foot race. It's the most frequent analogy he uses from the world of sports. He's talking in Philippians 3 about a race that we're all involved in. If you're saved, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're in this race. It's a race that some False teachers in his day and some false teachers in our day say you can win this race in this life. You cannot. And Paul confirms that. But it's a race that if anyone who's ever lived besides Jesus Christ, if it's a life that anyone who's ever walked on this earth could have attained, it would have been the Apostle Paul. 
But we'll see it's a race he never stopped trying to win, and it's a race that you and I should never stop trying to win, too. We're going to focus on just five verses, but we got to back up to get some context. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Would you read with me this morning? Paul says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that you give us your word. Thank you that the truths that the Apostle Paul presents here and that he wrote to the Philippians so many years ago, these truths still apply to us today. And Father, I pray that you would convict our hearts this morning of areas where we need to fix in our lives. I pray that you would show us how we too can press toward the goal, just like the Apostle Paul talked like he uh, said he did here in the book of Philippians. I pray that you'd be with us. I pray the words that are spoken here this morning will be yours, not mine. And I pray that you would pierce our hearts. I pray that we'd leave here changed and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If anybody had the right to boast about his accomplishments in this life, it was the Apostle Paul. Did you see what he said there back in verses 5 and 6? He talks about his religious credentials. And, and in the Jewish uh, people, among the Hebrew people, nobody had better credentials than what Paul says he had. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Concerning the law, Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, 
blameless. Paul said, you know, the law, the Old Testament law, check that box. I got that. But then we get over here to verse 12, where we'll focus on these five verses. He says, but don't think I've already attained perfection. Because there was a group of uh, false teachers in his day that were saying, hey, you can be perfect. But guess what? You can't be. Not in this life. Paul realizes that he has not yet arrived. There in verse 12, not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected. And if you think, well, that's just one time he said it. No, Paul said it over and over again throughout his writings. Here's a few examples. In Romans chapter 7, verse 14, Paul said, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. He goes on in that same chapter in verse 19 of Romans chapter 7 to say, For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, what I practice. And then probably one of the most familiar verses on this particular line of thought that you may know in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Paul said, I checked every box that the Hebrew religion had. If you could do it, I did it. If you could do it right, I did it right. As a matter of fact, I went over and above doing it right. But when God looks at me, he doesn't see perfection. He sees a sinner. That's what the Apostle Paul knew of himself. He knew he was a sinner. And he knew that where he was in his spiritual journey was not where he needed to be. Paul was probably the greatest evangelist in the history of the Christian church. He's recorded as writing 13 of the 27 New Testament books. Some people think he wrote Hebrews. I don't know. May have written 14 of the 27 books. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote the largest part of the New Testament. Yet he said, I'm a chief sinner. I'm just a sinner. Now that doesn't leave much hope for me. Doesn't leave much hope for you. Has anybody reminded you lately that you're a sinner? Well, if not, let me just bring you down a notch or two. You're a sinner. If you're living on this earth and you are breathing, you're a sinner. There were false teachers in Paul's day that taught the opposite. But Paul's refuting that. He says we ought to stop trying, or he says we ought not ever stop trying to reach it. But we're not perfect. First thing I want you to see as we look at the text this morning is that Paul had a passionate desire for spiritual growth. He had a passionate desire for spiritual growth. Look again at verse 12. Not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Paul was satisfied with Jesus. Amen? You satisfied with Jesus? Jesus done anything for you lately? Yeah, that breath you just took. Well, it's because he lets you take it. Paul was satisfied with Jesus. But he wasn't satisfied with his own spiritual life. Warren Wiersbe says that a sanctified dissatisfaction is the first essential to progress in the Christian race. 
Here's the thing, he says. The most dangerous place, this is what Paul's saying, the most dangerous place for a Christian to be is in a place of satisfaction with their own spiritual progress. If you say, you know what, I know I'm a sinner, but Jesus saved me, and you know, I'm just trying to get by every day. I mean, you know what we're all trying to do, and I'm happy with where I'm at in my spiritual life, you know. I'm going to keep living the way I want to live. I am generally a good person. And I'm just happy where I'm at. I'm happy knowing what I know. I'm going to heaven. We're not talking about going to heaven. I mean, you settle that when you're saved. We're talking about growing in your spiritual life on this earth. We'll talk about why you want to do that in just a minute. But the most dangerous place to be is in a place of satisfaction with your current spiritual condition. Paul realized it wasn't enough just to be aware of his need, though, and aware of his condition. He, Paul was determined to pursue the solution. You think about those NFL prospects we talked about earlier. And these guys, they want to go to the NFL. They know they're not where they need to be yet. They know that they've got to get better if they have any hope of those scouts putting in a good word for them and them getting drafted. And so what do they do? Do they sit there and hope they get better? No. If they want the reward of being drafted, they know it's going to take a lot of work. Pursuing spiritual growth, as I said a minute ago, is not about getting to heaven. Pursuing spiritual growth is about getting a little bit of heaven down here to you right now. Enjoying a little bit of heaven while you're on earth. Paul was chasing spiritual growth with all he had in him. He said there in verse 12, he said, I press on. That phrase, press on, denotes an aggressive, energetic endeavor. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, he puts it like this, run in such a way that you may obtain it. You ever watched a 5K? Now, I know, I know some of y'all participated in 5Ks. I'm asking if you ever watched a 5K, stood out on the street and watched the race come by. You see all kinds of people who are running in the 5K. You got some folks who are just running for social reasons. They've got a group of friends that they run with on a regular basis and just as a thing they want to do as friends, they go out and they run the 5K just for fun. If you run just for fun, we're not in the same club, okay? But some people do that. Other people run just because they've got a personal goal of checking that box. I just want to be able to say, I completed a 5K. I want to be able to say, I checked that box. I can put that sticker on my car so that no matter how bad out of shape I get in the future, everybody I see on the road will know that one time I ran a 5K. Okay? That's what some, that's some people, what they do. But then, as you're watching, you're standing there on the side of the road, and you start seeing the runners come into view. You see, there's something different about those folks at the front. They're not running just to check a box. They're not running just for social reasons. They're not running just so they can put a sticker on their car. They're running because whoever finishes first gets money. And they want the prize. They're running for a reason. 
They're doing what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, that when he's, he's talking about our spiritual life, but they're fulfilling that in the 5K. They're running for one reason, and that's to obtain the prize. That's why they're there. Singular focus, win the race. I hate to say it. There's a lot of people running the Christian race who are not running it to win it. They're running it for social reasons. They're running it so they can check that box off this week. We'll circle back around next week. Paul says, run to win. Is it easy? No. Colossians chapter 1, verse 29, he describes it as labor and striving. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, he calls it fighting the good fight of faith. It's not easy. You got to fight every day to stay in the race. And you know, it shouldn't be easy because the prize is too valuable. Any prize really worth obtaining, you ought to have to fight to get there. What's the prize? In verse 12, he says, he wants to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Well, what in the world is he talking about? Well, here's how he said it to the Romans. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29, he says, For whom God foreknew, he also predestined, what? To be conformed into the image of Jesus. That's the prize. The prize is looking more like Jesus. Paul had a passion for spiritual growth. But he had more than that. He had a plan. See, there's an old saying that says, those who fail to plan, plan to fail. Paul had a plan, and he put his plan into motion. If you see there in verse uh, 13, he says, I don't count myself to have apprehended. He wants to remind us of that again. He says, but one thing I do. Then he lists two things, okay? You kind of say, wait a minute, Paul. You say one thing I do, and then you list two things. Well, those two things is a two-step plan. His singular focus is his plan. One thing I do, I implement the plan. One thing I do, he has total concentration to one goal. Paul didn't let anything else get in the way. Nothing else got in the way of this for the Apostle Paul. Work didn't get in the way. Friends didn't get in the way. A social calendar didn't get in the way. Paul said, I've got one goal, and nothing in life is going to get in the way of me meeting this goal. Are you listening this morning? I don't know. Some people may have fallen asleep already. Okay, I'm sorry. Well, wake up a little bit because I want you to hear Paul's plan. It's a proven plan. It works. We'll see in a minute that it works. It's a two-step plan. That's all you need, two steps. What's the first step? He says, forgetting those things that are behind. One thing I do, forget those things which are behind. You know what Paul's telling us? The past isn't relevant. There's a lot of people that need to hear that. The past is not relevant. Those times you failed in the past, those times you messed up in the past, those are not relevant. There's nothing you can do to change it. Something else that's not relevant are those times you won in the past. You get a lot of victories in life. Well, guess what? Those victories 
may not be enough to carry you through. So let's forget about those two and focus on what's ahead. The past is completely irrelevant. But something else I believe he's talking about, I don't think he's just talking about past events. As we run the Christian race, we ought to be running in community with other people, right? We ought to be a part of the local church, as you all are. I'm preaching to the proverbial choir here this morning. I should turn around, but well, you're there. And so, but you ought to be running the race with other people. But sometimes we start comparing ourselves to other people. We start looking to see where other people are. And you know what that does? It trips us up because we say, well, I'm not doing as well as they're doing, so why do I even try? In 1954, there was a big race in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. It's the 1954 British Empire Games. And there was a race that caught the attention of the world. You see, that year, these two men, their names were Roger Bannister and John Landy. They had each separately set world records. For the first time in the recorded history of athletics, each of these two men ran the mile in less than four minutes. It had never been done before. It had never been done and recorded before anyway. So they've each set world records. Now they're going to race each other. One of them's from the UK. One of them is from Australia. They meet at the games in Vancouver. It's time to race. This race would become known as the Miracle Mile. For the majority of the race, John Landy led. He was ahead. He was focused on winning. And they came around that last corner. Something got in his head. He sees the finish line. It's right there. But he starts to think, and I wonder how far Bannister is behind me. So as he rounds that last corner, he looks over his left shoulder. Bannister is nowhere in sight. Because as he turned to look around his left shoulder, he slowed down just enough that Bannister flew past him on the right. Bannister won the race because Landy slowed down to look behind him. There's a statue in Vancouver, stands there today, and it depicts that race. It has the two men neck and neck. Bannister just barely a step ahead of Landy, and Landy's turn looking around behind. What a way to be remembered. I mean, you know, what a way. It's a statue now. From now on, people will look at this statue and see Landy looking behind him. And that's what caused him to lose the race. Paul said he didn't want to be remembered as the one who lost the race because he was too busy looking behind him. Look straight ahead. Forget the past. Second step, not just look forward, Paul says reach forward for the things that are ahead. These things I do, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are ahead. Paul didn't just want to look ahead, he wanted to reach ahead. The Greek verb there means literally to stretch. It means that the runner, it looks at a runner who's straining every muscle trying to get 
to the finish line. And then he goes on in verse 14, I press toward the goal. That word toward can also be translated down, and you say that doesn't make any sense. It does when you say it like this. Paul says, I double down towards the goal. I'm not looking behind me as I run this spiritual race. I'm looking ahead, I'm stretching ahead, and I'm doubling down, giving it everything I've got, singular focus, I'm going to win the race. Paul's goal was running the race and running it well until Jesus called him home. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. One scholar said, the finish line for Paul was the threshold of heaven where the rewards are handed out. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul knows his departure is close by. He knows it's not going to be long until he dies. And in verse 7, he says this, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul said, I, I won, I finished the race. And I'm about to get the victor's crown. Guess what? You might say, well, Paul won the crown. What's the point in me running the race? The trophy's already been handed out. No, 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 no. Everybody who wins gets the crown. Now, don't mistake this for a participation trophy. God doesn't do that, okay? This is not a, particip a participation trophy. I can't even say it this morning. But you're saying, you know, that all sounds good. But I got too much going on in my life, you know, got work. My kids keep me running here and there. We got so many practices and everything else going on that, you know, there's, and then there's the housework that doesn't matter. I saw a thing the other day that says, doesn't matter if you eat in or eat out, you're always cleaning the kitchen, you know. There's always housework to be done and the laundry piles up, you know, when are we ever going to get all this done? I've got too much going on to worry about getting some crown when I get to heaven, I'm saved, I'm getting in. That's all I'm really worried about. Think about it more like the Apostle Paul. What did he say the, the reward was? It was becoming more like Jesus. When he was writing to the Galatians, he didn't describe it as running. He described it as the spiritual walk. This is more my speed. But he said those who engage in this spiritual walk and progress to become more and more like Jesus, get something in this life. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, he calls it the fruit of the Spirit. And in this life, you get more love. In this life, you get more joy. In this life, you get more peace, more patience, more kindness, more goodness, more gentleness, more self-control. Is there anybody in the room that says, I've got all the joy I need? I know there's not. Either that or some of y'all need to notify your face. Okay, we could all use a little more joy. Is there anybody here who's got all the peace you need? The world is a chaotic place. But boy, I've got all the peace I need. I don't. Paul says, walk in the Spirit. He says, pursue Christ-likeness, and you get more of the fruit of the Spirit in this life. That's why you run the race. 
I'm telling you, it's just a bonus when you cross the threshold of heaven and he says, here's your crown. Because you don't get to keep it long anyway. You get to lay it at the feet of Jesus. Paul wanted the reward. He passionately pursued it. And he had a plan. One last thing, very short point, and we're gone. Paul's plan was not just for today. Paul's plan was a plan that persevered. It wasn't like your New Year's resolution, or I won't blame y'all, like my New Year's resolution that starts out on January 1, and by about noon, it's gone, right? That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's not talking about a plan for this week. He's not talking about a plan for this month. Paul's talking about this plan. Forget what's behind and stretch towards what's ahead. Paul says this is a plan for your entire life. Every day, you get up and you do this. Because look at verse 16. He says, nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained. Here's what he said, okay. You've made some progress in your spiritual journey. You're more like Jesus today than you were last week. Good for you, but don't stop. He says, to the degree that we've already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Let us walk. In the Greek, would be better translated, let us keep walking and never stop. It denotes continual action, the original Greek verb there. Let us keep walking. I'm told that somewhere along the foot of the Swiss Alps, there is a stone monument. And it has the name of a guy who was attempting to climb the Alps, and he fell to his death. And this stone has his name and the date of the tragedy. Underneath it, it says, He died climbing. He died climbing. What a wonderful epitaph that is for any Christian. Don't prepare for invitational hymn, but think about that for yourself. What a wonderful thing to be able to say one day, I hope it's a long time for all of us, one day when you get to cross heaven's threshold and then down here on earth people are talking about your life and they said, you know what? He died stretching towards the likeness of Jesus. He died running towards the goal of being more like Jesus. She died striving every single day. And everything she did, she strived to be more like Jesus She died striving. He died running. Here's the invitation. Forget the past. Run towards the goal of becoming more like Jesus. It's something for all of us. None of us have attained. If Paul hadn't attained, neither has anybody in this room. You don't have to do it by yourself. Jesus said he was sending a helper, the Holy Spirit. Would you spend some time in prayer during this invitation, either in this altar or where you're at, asking that he would guide you in this race towards Christ-likeness? Maybe you're here this morning and you're not even in the race. You hadn't even signed up for it yet because the only way you get in the race is to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and secure your spot in heaven, one way to heaven. It's not politically correct, but it's biblically correct. There's one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. He said that, you'd confess your sin, 
He's faithful and just to forgive you. He said in Romans chapter 9, verse 10, he said that, that, well, in verse 13, he said, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I quote that verse all the time and forgot it on the spot. He says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe on your heart and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This morning, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's nothing else I'd rather do than tell you how you can do that this morning. Would you come? Would you stand this morning? And, and whatever the Lord has laid on your heart, would you take care of that?